Right, where are my baptismal candles? Give me a wave. See Lucy? Where's Monty? Monty stepped out for a minute. And Grace? Good for you. Okay, because this is for you guys. Um, I thought I'd take a break from the series that we've been working our way through uh, this morning. I, I really wanted something sp- to share something specially for our wonderful baptismal candidates. Well done. Good for you. Fantastic. Uh, and I'm aware that you've probably got friends and family here, and I just hope this message will help you a little bit. This morning, I'm going to tell a story. Everyone loves a good story. This is a good story. And it's an Old Testament one, and we're going to look at the first chapter of Daniel. Now, Daniel was a prophet. He was a a man of God. He was a great character uh, with some really interesting stories. And, And this book, which you'll find towards the end of the Old Testament amongst all those prophetic Books. This, this book is significant for two main reasons, I think. Reason number one is, is the stirring predictive prophecies that he gave concerning what we would call the kind of the end times. And the second reason I think it was really significant is that, that Daniel was a young man in exile who God used tremendously even against all the odds. We'll read the first few verses of Daniel 1 to set this up, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper to see what we can learn. Okay, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, that would be a good time to boo, incidentally, if we were doing that kind of thing, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then in verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego, or if you watched VeggieTales, Shad, Rack, and Benny, which is how I like to call them. Okay, so the, the title of the message today is How to Thrive in an Alien Culture, and I wonder, does it does it sometimes feel like that? That, that as a Christian, you're, you're just different. On the outside. That, that everyone is marching in the opposite direction. Does it ever feel like that at school, at work? Think, think for a minute about Daniel and his friends. They were in exile. They were aliens. 
They were in this scary country called Babylon. And that country was widely regarded as being hostile and immoral and oppressive. And in that land, they, they had different food. They had different government. The, the etiquette was different. The language was different. It, it was a different religion. They worshipped different gods. There were different regulations and rituals and laws. With that in mind, for you, does it sometimes feel as though you were a foreigner in a hostile land? A land that holds to completely different moral standards. Where the lines are drawn in completely different places. They speak, as it were, a different language. Everyone around you swearing like troopers, perhaps. There's a miserable lack of respect for authority. Where it's cool to be lazy, rebellious and rude. You know, the old Bible translations had a word for this. You're going to learn a new word this morning. And the word is, or was, sojourners. In Genesis chapter 15, right at the beginning, God said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants, this is right at the start of the, the nation of Israel, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers, there's this word, in a land that is not their own, and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. That particular passage is, is predicting the, the future time that they would spend in Egypt. Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat and all that. King David described his uh, people as aliens and pilgrims in 1 Chronicles 29.50. We are here only for a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone soon without a trace. It's repeated idea that, that actually we're just passing through. That the word stranger is usually translated sojourner or, or foreigner or, or alien. And you know what? In many ways, as God's people, we just don't fit in. Don't be surprised that like an alien or a foreigner, we are in many ways different. We see that same motif in the, in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The Living Translation describes us as temporary residents and foreigners. The Amplified as aliens and strangers. Always this sense that as God's people, we will be different. We will always be a remnant in the world's eyes, outsiders. So, with, with that uh, in mind, let's take a look at the story of Daniel and his friends, who, as we've already said, found themselves very much as aliens, and yet absolutely flourished, in spite of all those factors working against them. So the question becomes, what, what can we learn from Daniel's story? And I'm going to give you three of Daniel's victory keys. Okay, and the first one is this. He was determined 
not to let this alien culture defile him. Defile means to make impure and corrupt and dirty. We understand that the plan was that these, that these four Hebrew young men were to be utterly immersed in Babylonian culture. You get that this was not a good thing, right? All through the Bible, the name Babylon is representative. It's a type of, of sin, representing extreme godlessness and immorality. Example, Revelation 14 Verse 8, then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. In other words, everything about Babylon would be pulling them away from God. Away from their Jewish religion and worship and custom. This is exemplified by by the name changes. So Daniel means, in Hebrew it means, God is my judge. Whereas Belshazzar means, Bel, very different God, protect the king. And of course this clash of cultures ultimately, as we read through the book, would lead to the fiery furnace and it would lead to the lion's den. Verse 8 of Daniel 1. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these acceptable foods. Now we need to understand, Daniel here was not just being awkward for awkward's sake. But as a good religious Israelite boy, he knew that he simply must not eat food that had been dedicated or sacrificed to foreign gods. And it says here that Daniel was determined. He was adamant that he would not defile himself. It's interesting, I think, as, as you read this, only four names are mentioned here, suggesting there were probably plenty of other young men in exile who didn't choose, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to take this principle stand. Reading on, verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. I want you to note that Daniel had, had found favor in this new world. And therefore, it would have been really easy for him to conform, to, to court that popularity, to, to seek further approval even though that the system overtly offended his sharp and sensitive Jewish conscience. What did the Babylonian court official say, verse 10? But he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord my king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. There's a, there's a, moral, there's a little moral in that, which is the alien culture, what the Bible calls the spirit of the world, will attempt to emotionally manipulate you. It will attempt to seduce you, to wear you out, to lead you away from God and godliness. It will attempt to convince you to conform. But we remember, don't we, Romans 12 verse 2, which says, do not conform 
to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the old Philip's translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Daniel was a fantastic example of someone who chose to be a transformer rather than a conformer. Consider for a minute what Daniel was up against. What were the factors that were tugging against his conscience, were jumping up and down in opposition to his faith? We understand, don't we, it was more than just a choice of menu. Actually, I suspect we face similar issues. Just a couple of examples. The first one, peer pressure. Ever find yourself being squeezed by peer pressure? In this case, it was the four of them against all those Babylonian boys. Saying things like this, forget relying on your God. Get through this course and you can have a pick of the best jobs in the palace. Three years training, remember? Don't waste your time with all that prayer and fasting. We've got a free run of the best entertainment that Babylon has to offer. They were living in the royal court. Holiness. Forget that. Girls are dying to go out with a rock star like you. The point is, when it gets tough, not everyone's advice is going to be steering you towards faith or, or standing on the word or listening to God. The second factor pulling against them was, was science. How can you be as fit as us if you only eat that green stuff? Good question. And in our culture's worldview has, has such a strong emphasis on rationalism and reason that faith has, has supposedly become unpopular and unfashionable. I use the word supposedly because research indicates that people are just as spiritually open and hungry, actually, as they has, have ever been. It says something like this, why would you believe in a God you can't see when we have so much more advanced scientific knowledge than they had when the Bible was written. So that worldview is, is ever nagging away in our minds, trying to drag us to Babylon. You know, I expect that those, that those Babylonian boys were, were chipping away at our Fab Four, chipping away at, at their trust in God, chipping away at their religious faithfulness, chipping away at their upright, holy lifestyle. But you know what? I am pleased to report that Daniel's faith flourished, even in an alien culture, when no one else was doing it, when society was clearly and decisively pulling in the opposite direction. Remember, Daniel was far from home. His parents were nowhere to be seen. And yet his faith in God flourished. That was victory key number one. Victory key number two is this. You can be separate without being rude. Verse 11. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision 
in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. I want you to note the, the language used here. In verse 11, right at the start, it says, Daniel spoke. You know, Daniel paid them the respect of a conversation rather than leaping to rebellion. He used the word, please. He used intelligent reason. See how we look. Make your decision in light of what you see. And here's the point. Resist the temptation to dishonor and disrespect. The Bible makes it very clear about honoring authority. And so, yes, we are, we are called to be separate. We're called to be different. We're called to be holy like Jesus. But that does not give us an excuse to be rude. So the ongoing challenge, and this is a challenge, it's ongoing, is to rebel with respect. Daniel had to rebel. But he rebelled with respect. And Daniel disagreed. He had to disagree. He did disagree. But he disagreed with honor. Our challenge then to rebel with respect and to disagree with honor. And do you know what? Daniel gave an absolute masterclass here. And God greatly blessed that. That was victory key number two. Victory key number three is that Daniel trusted that God's way was superior. Verse 15. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who'd been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Surprise, surprise. God's way works. And presumably, if we, if we too were utterly convinced that God's way worked, we would always choose God's way too. And it comes down to this. Who do we believe is stronger? Is it God? Or is it little g, the God of this world, or, or the spirit of this age? Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And yes and amen, says Daniel. Isaiah 55, verse 8, God said, For my ways are not your, sorry, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. They're different. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, trust underpins everything. Do we trust God or not? You know, there are forces at work out there that are trying to undermine and to dismantle and to counteract that trust. Just dig in like Daniel and refuse to let them. Romans 10 verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Stay in the word. Keep feeding that faith, that trust. Hang around believers who believe. 
Why? Because God's way will prove to be superior every single time. Even in Babylon. Even in the classroom. Or the common room. Or the playground. Or the office. Three victory keys. Good old Daniel, Shadrach and Benny for sticking to their guns. For holding to their principles and their integrity from separating themselves from what they knew to be wrong. Even when it was really hard. Even when it could have cost them their lives. We could leave it there. And I think it's a great lesson. But I want to spend just the last few minutes looking, looking at the outcomes as we finish this story. Outcome number one. There is blessing and anointing in obedience, honor, and holiness. Verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude. Come from God. An unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams, as we see through the rest of the book. And so in refusing to compromise, in refusing to grieve the Holy Spirit, instead in committing to, to walk with God closely and faithfully and obediently, God was able to bless them above and beyond in increased measure. To, to increase their, their anointing and their influence. And as we, we see through the rest of the book, he was able to use them powerfully in pursuit of his purposes. Think, think for a second of the, the opposites. The opposites are disobedience and dishonor and immorality. God is never going to bless that. And if we want more, if we want to see God move in our lives and in our churches and in our homes and families, we need to commit to obedience and to honor and to holiness. This is the place of, of increased favor. This is the place of abundant blessing. This is the place of outpoured anointing. And actually, this is the concept of, of the current series that we're working through as a church called Holy, if you fancy listening along to that. Outcome number two. Surprise, surprise. God's way did indeed prove to be so much better. Listen to this, verse 18. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Ten times more capable. Don't limit yourself to the best the world can offer when you can have access 
to all that God has to offer. Identity and security and stability. His perfect, unfailing, unconditional love and acceptance. Wisdom, inspiration, clear guidance and leadership. Abundant grace and power and strength. Don't limit yourself to the best the world can offer when you can have access to all God has to offer. God's way will always, always, always prove to be better. And then outcome number three, we're nearly done, is this. Godly integrity will outlast the best of worldly wisdom. Verse 21, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. You need to understand that Daniel outlasted three kings. He outlasted Nebuchadnezzar, who in time went mad. He outlasted Belshazzar, who saw the writing on the wall, if you remember that story. And he outlasted Darius, the Mede invader, who actually died of natural causes. And he remained in royal service until the fourth king, King Cyrus. As I've said, if you want to read the rest of the book of Daniel, some great stories in there. And here's the message. Don't let anything jeopardize your integrity. You know, there are all sorts of agendas and opinions and temptations out there in Babylon. Don't let them drag you away from integrity. From, from doing the right things for the right reasons. From being unrelentingly honest. Fr from refusing to compromise your values. Cling at all costs to your purity. A couple of examples. Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't be tempted to take matters in your own hands and meddle and play God. Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sins will find you out. There are always consequences, even if you think no one has seen. Don't jeopardize that integrity. Matthew 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your yay and your nay. Be a person of your word. As Proverbs says repeatedly, Proverbs 10, verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Proverbs 13.6, righteousness guards the person of integrity. But wickedness overthrows the sinner. Let integrity, so my candidates, you know this stuff. Let integrity guard your heart. Let integrity referee your thoughts. And let integrity be your absolute, unshakable, unquestionable default. And if so, you will last longer and you will go further and you will be better than anything the wisdom of this world can offer. Okay, if the worship team would like to come forward, that would be great.
how do we respond to this response? It is particularly for our young people, but I reckon it's applicable to everyone. You know, we are living as sojourners, as aliens in an adverse culture, strangers, foreigners, this side of eternity. So make a determined stand, a stake in the ground, once and for all decision. On this your baptism day, to do it God's way. To trust God, even when it's really hard. And to cling on, to hold on to integrity and honor and respect. And Joel, if you do that, just like Daniel, if you do that, you too can thrive in your faith. You can thrive in your relationship with God, in your pursuit of his purposes for your life. I'm going to pray. Uh, time's ticking on, so we'll have a closing song, and then, then she'll wrap up. But, but I'm going I'm to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the stirring story and example of Daniel. And we recognize so much of us in that. At times it's hard. We feel like we don't fit. We feel like we're being dragged and tugged away from you. And I want to pray particularly for our three baptismal candidates today. I want to pray particularly for our young people in church today. And I pray, Lord, that they would commit to walking closely with you every day. I pray, Lord, that they would ever be listening for your voice. I pray, Lord, that they would cling to their integrity, what they know to be right. I pray, Lord, they will always look to you, for you are the way and the truth and the life. And so for Lucy and Monty and Grace and indeed all our young people, everyone here, I pray, Lord, that they might flourish in their faith, even in this alien culture. In Jesus' name, amen.